Are you bored? Bored of casting the same old spells in your tabletop role-playing games? How about if you were able to cast a Wall of Horse, which is a 20-foot high dome of pure equine power? If that's the case, then Coffee Steak Studios has got the content for you. You can either check them out by going to their Itch.io store or becoming a Patreon of their Patreon campaign. There'll be links in the show notes. And now, man with the show, Wizard. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for December, because it's getting to Christmas time, and um, Christmas time brings, you know, lots of food to the table, lots of drink to the table, and then as everybody stumbles from the table to go and sit down in front of the television, somebody I actually might suggest a game. Now... If you're in a small room, and there's maybe only a couple of you, you might roll out the traditional things. You might roll out some new ones. Most of you will probably roll out something in the middle. However, if it was a big, huge Christmas dinner, and maybe there was 20 or 30 of you, you might decide to roll out what you would call a mega game. A mega game. There's only one thing to do. You need an expert when you need a mega game. And you can't just have it up here north. You've maybe got to go a bit south. You maybe got to go a bit southwest. You've maybe got to go and speak to Southwest Mega Games, because joining me from Southwest Mega Games, I've got John Mizen, who has no idea what he's getting himself into. <laughs> so hello, John. Hello, hello. I indeed don't. <laughs> how are you? How are you doing, sir? Are you? I was going to say are you well, but um, I don't. We're both we're yeah. both on the tail end of something, aren't we? Yeah, as we established in our pre-podcast emails, I'm slightly under the weather at the moment, but I'll power through this. <laughs> See if you get on. You might tap out halfway through. Just say no. This is enough. I've had enough. I can't. I can't continue. I'm off to my bed. You've kind of finished me off. Um, to everybody who's listening to this for the first time, the reason that we do this is because there's quite simply not enough podcasts out there about board games and tabletop um we continue our research we continue not to be able to find anything and the other reason that we do this is some damn fool recommended john get in contact with us to come on the podcast um so we appreciate all these people who lead people our way so we can trap them that's just the way that we (laughs) that's just the way that we like to work um i guess Starting off, to talk about yourself, did you, I mean, did you work your way up? That's the worst question. Did you start on small games and then work your way up <laughs> to kind of, to kind um, of mega games? I mean, yes. I mean, it's sort of only two steps, but in a sense, yes. Um, before I was into mega games, uh, I'd 
played quite a few board games. I got into board games when I was around 18, 19. Oh, right. okay. Um, in, in the sense that we would understand, I, you know, playing some of the newer games, some of the more modern designs as opposed to just your regular monopolies and stuff. Um, and I played a little bit of RPGs uh-huh. at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, I now play a lot more. Um, but yeah, and it was uh, about four years ago um, that I got into mega games. Um, as I sort of learned about them from a video that Shut Up and Sit Down made, who do a lot of board game stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They made a video about a mega game in, I want to say, 2014. Um, and that made me think about them a lot more until I eventually ran one. Um, and then after I ran one, I started going to ones that other people were running too. Was that like the... I, th- I know that the um, Quinns and Matt went on... Um, and kind of wax lyrical about, I think it was, um, was it two booms in a room? Uh, I don't know, I'm not familiar. Something along those lines. Um, <clears throat> it's a game where there's a bomb and people play different kind of factions and government things and you go about and stuff like that. And I remember the kind of, kind of um, talking about that, kind of that kind of thing, kind of ages and ages ago. And it was only when I saw you kind of when we were kind of chatting through email and you sent the link to the stuff, it kind of went, maybe that's it, or maybe I've got it kind of completely, um, uh, kind of completely. Well, I mean, yeah, yes and no. So I have actually had two rooms in a boom. I think I remember looking it up a while back. Mm. Um, so uh, two rooms in a boom. I think the main thing is the whoever designed two rooms in a boom. I don't think they had heard of mega games, um, so I don't know if they've ever tried to call it a mega game. Mm-hmm. But of course, the one thing that mega game fans love and hate in equal measure is trying to define what a mega game is. Um, so whether or not uh, Two Rooms in a Boom might count is up for debate, but it has enough players yeah. to probably count in that sense. Um, I reckon it's because doesn't it play in about like 15 minutes or something? I can't remember. It's like a game of resistance yeah, in the sort of. I think it depends. It yeah. depends on. So, I think it depends on how, how many people kind of get involved and what they want to do in terms yeah. of the rules, really. Yeah. So, so I'd say most mega games would be much longer and have a much more kind of in depth, complex structure and mechanics than Two Rooms in a Boom. But Two Rooms in a Boom might be a. Uh, like a sort of mega game on the extreme end of the spectrum, which mm-hmm. is designed to be incredibly quick and incredibly simple. Mm. Um, but it does have that layer of complexity where there's enough players for the simple number of players in the game to be a level of complexity. But what what kind of first kind of drag kind of dragged you in? Do you remember the kind of the defining moment where you went, "Yeah, this is quite cool. I kind I kind of want to." Because in all things, as, as with all things, there's a difference between experiencing something and then grabbing it by the horns and saying, right, I'm going to go ahead and try and try and forge my own version of this and, and kind of get really, really kind of deep into it? Um, I'm not sure, really. It was sort of a gradual process. I remember watching the video. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was interesting. Maybe I'll try one out. But at the time, the pretty much the only place I could go to play one was uh, London, and that was far too far away for me mm-hmm. um, at the time. And... I had a look around and um, I had a think and I started, you know, just doodling little notes just based purely on what I'd seen in the video. Mm-hmm. Like if I was to design a similar game, um, what would it look like? And I, uh, uh, Jim Wallman, the guy who designed Watch the Skies, which is the mega game that's in that Shut and Down video, mm-hmm. he was selling at the time and is selling in a slightly more updated version now, uh, a pack you could buy with all the PDFs materials required to... Um, to run the game so it was like all the 
rule books or the team briefing or the like the things that you need to print to put on the map counters and stuff um he was selling that so i bought that for inspiration and read it through and thought well this is just much better than what i've done so far and threw away everything <laughs> i'd worked on just did that instead um so uh that's what i ended up running and then got quite into that and once i'd run it and you know had a look through the design and everything that's when i got I guess really kind of really crystallized my love for the genre mm-hmm. because, you know, I could really get into the whole dynamic of like these big structures and all these different players role playing and interacting with each other and trying to come up with solutions or compete or whatever it is they're doing. Do you need to be quite um, outgoing and almost theatrical in your approach to these things? I mean, you have to, are you taking almost like a, a kind of a, almost like a LARPing type role? Are you going about and guiding people on how they do? Or, I mean, how does a structure, how does a structure kind of form of a game? Do you brief people and then let them get on with it? Or are you kind of going about making sure that everybody's kind of doing what they're meant to be doing? Um, I think there's two questions there. And the first question Hmm. about how much of it is sort of a theatrical, uh, very outgoing performance. I think there's a spectrum because... Some players, um, you know, some players come from the LARPing community. Um, some players come from like the theater community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some players are just like hardcore tabletop role players. And they will definitely come in and they'll love the story and the characters. And they'll just really get into pretending to be uh, someone with a particular personality or set of objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely there. Um, but some people have described mega games as role playing a job rather than role playing a character. Um, which is interesting. Um, and the other part of that spectrum is, of course, the mega game itself, because obviously there's all kinds of different mega games. Um, some of them are far more kind of serious and, and procedural, and some of them are far more about characters and, and personalities. Um, and, you know, most will fall somewhere in between. So there's sort of roles for both of those people, depending on the game, um, where some people are required to more sort of act out whereas others can sort of just like focus on on what they're trying to achieve Mm. and like quietly make those choices and then search out the information they want um the other question you asked um was a much easier answer which is um do i just set people off and let them go Mm. yes um basically you at the start of the game obviously you'll get your your rule book and your briefings you'll get those in advance so you can read what the rules are and you'll read what your team briefing or your character's briefing is and Mm. it'll say you know you are for example the president of france and you have these goals for what you want to achieve in the future um when they'll typically be things like you know make sure you're still a beacon of diplomacy for the world don't let your country's reputation suffer keep your country's economy strong um and then once they've got that, the game starts, and I don't really give anyone any directions as to what to do next. Um, it's all about how they bounce off each other and what actions they choose to take, and it's all about having a very organic story. Does it end up being quite a kind of an immersive gameplay type of event? I mean, do you see people kind of... Have you seen situations where you've went like, oh, that's an interesting way to kind of, kind of deal from that. I must kind of note that note that down and see see if I can bring that in in a, in a later date um, yeah all the time really people really get into um, the situation and you know it's all about that buy-in mm. uh, same with uh, RPGs and LARPs I imagine where you've you know you require everyone to believe in the world that you've constructed and to uh, play out the actions accordingly and as a result some people will think well 
what would I do here? And in fact, in mega games, there's a pretty uh, common sort of uh, idea where the game has umpires or GMs, which we call control team. Yeah. And um, if the game mechanics don't allow you to do a specific thing, but in theory, that specific thing could happen in the world that you're playing in, you can ask control if you can do it and they'll do a sort of a mix of freeform stuff mm. or you know mix and match some risk and some resources to see if you can attempt whatever it is you want to attempt and that can have effects on the game world be they political or mechanical or whatever um so for example there's a game um, that i really love called infinite horizons which is about um a uh, there's a, a Humanity in the sort of semi-near future uh, discovers a new planet for the first time that they could possibly live on. And everyone puts their hopes into settling this planet. But obviously everyone's still very competitive. You know, these all these super governments and massive corporations who are competing. Um, and obviously there's a lot of mechanics for trade and, and uh, exploring the map and building mines and fuel refineries mm. and whatever. Um, but also... Um, you know, you've got the government of the colony, the new colony, who are just trying to make everything work. And they've got these laws that they can make. And with some exceptions, these laws are basically whatever they decide to come up with. Um, so they? they can, you know, put taxes on certain activities or certain people or certain resources, or they could make certain actions illegal. And, um, you know, these completely of their own ideas. And it's about how that shapes the game by control implementing those throughout the game. Um, oftentimes these ideas will be more like individual players trying to get around some problem or trying to come up with a creative solution to some issue they're having. But um, that's sort of a, a slightly more institutionalized version of this uh, that works well for the explanation, at least. Is it almost like going into like a much more granular level? Because, I mean, and one of the things I think about, like, say, if I'm looking at just off the cuff at Infinite Horizons... I see he- I see hexes, I see counters, I see little pieces of card, and part of me is thinking, is this um, is this almost like a little kind of Twilight Imperium type thing? But instead of you saying, right, I'm going to move here and take over this place, it's like, well, this is fine, but by you moving here, you've got to engage with this person over here who deals with all the resources. You've got to deal with this person over here who deals with the military might. You've then maybe got to speak to this person here who's the ambassador for the planet you're trying to kind of take over kind of thing so you're going kind of like deeper so somebody that would maybe be taking a move as I say on maybe Twilight Imperium or Scythe or something like that it's almost like you're going in and saying right okay well you've taken your move but you've now got to deal with these five or six people that are maybe going to be affected by your move and how that kind of how that kind of plays out is that is that kind of close to what it would be like um, I mean, yeah, I think you've more or less hit the nail on the head there. That's pretty correct. Like, uh, you know, imagine you're playing Twilight Imperium, but rather than, I don't know, say six teams all controlled by one person, mm-hmm. each of those six teams has five people in it. And, you know, one of them is running some kind of other separate trade game, which is they're trying to manage. And one of them's trying to, you know, forge laws in some uh, wider kind of wider view, UN equivalent, United Nations equivalent. Mm-hmm that's trying to make everyone sort of work together or at least try and avoid mass conflict or something. Um, and yeah, you can totally do things that's going to annoy other people because other people live in that space. And another way to describe it, which might also kind of help the explanation, is uh, you know imagine that you're playing an RPG and your three characters walk into town, 
what if everyone in that town was also a player character? Yeah. You know, you buy things, it affects the economy. Um, you attack people, you're going to make enemies, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, there's absolutely a, a thing there. The one thing I would say is uh, your idea of um, do something annoying first, uh, get asked questions later. You may want to try the alternate strategy of checking out if these people will ally with you or perhaps um, just kind of not attack you for doing something yeah. before you do it, diplomacy-wise, and then do it. Um, but, of course, both strategies are available. Does this not um, require an immense amount of work? I mean, well, from my because you mentioned like a role playing game, kind of walking in to the town, and normally what would happen is just well, what are you doing? It's like well, you see a you see a young boy bouncing a ball. Well, I'm going to steal the ball, and it's like well, you just happen to kind of steal the ball off the boss of the village, so he's now going to come after you, kind of thing. But is it a case that you have to be? Are you? I don't know. Are you kind of? I take it. Do you just kind of like give people guidance and then just let them kind of go and give them kind of like their boundaries as opposed to being like a GM who would have to think, oh my goodness, what happens if they go left instead of going right here and go completely off the wrong path? How do I pull them back in again? Are you just saying, right, well, as long as you can kind of comply within these set kind of boundaries, you just crack on with kind of whatever you would like to do really and just see how it plays out? Yeah, I mean, so that's so that's sort of the core of a lot of mega game design is um, how do you make sure that it's not too intensive for uh, the people trying to make the game work? Um, so that would be the idea of, um, you know, like in an RPG, you're not necessarily just going in and the GM's doing everything. There's, you know, the, there's a rule book and there's a map and the GM's got some character sheets for NPCs in case you want to do anything with them. So in Mega Games, you know, you'd have a, a map with some set rules for how that works that the players would then understand and you wouldn't need, um, you know, GM labor to come into that. Mm -hmm. um, but then every now and then, once they want to, you know, bypass some issue um, or put into effect some law, you know, and putting in putting laws in, for example, there'll be a procedure for that. So players know what to do with 80% of it. They might just come to, oh, and then if this law takes effect, how exactly would that affect the game and control could figure out exactly what would make sense for that kind of resolution so it's a mix of uh, you know having a rule book and mechanics that can do like the brunt of the work and the interactions but the gms mm -hmm. the control team are still there to facilitate anything you know else that's going on um so they can give it that extra level of sort of um options and, and realis realism does it um is it does it help you to kind of bring in kind of game what you would call kind of gamification into certain kind of situations as well? Because I, I had a guest on um, the other week who was bringing in kind of basically gamification into kind of day to day kind of lessons. So, would you see mega games as being able to say, okay, well, let's take this into maybe? A corporate situation or an office situation where maybe communication needs to be touched on and manage management and responsibility in the chain of command needs to be kind of looked at but you can't just have 20 people sitting around a table and asking them to think you know to tell you what they think is wrong because in this situation <coughs> nobody thinks they're wrong and nobody's kind of willing to change but you have to have an alternate way of, of of doing that is is that is that something you guys would also kind of look at if a business kind of approached you and said you know 
could you help with team building but I'm not wanting to send 20 folk to paintball for a day because somebody always gets hurt but is there a way we could kind of kind of involve almost like some business lessons at the same time while everybody's kind of learning something yeah definitely um, so the thing about mega games is that they're really really good at hmm. um, simulating big structures uh, big organisations or just sort of any big issue where there's a lot of people or a lot of different factors in play. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're great at showing you uh, the issues that arise in those situations with communication and logistics and all those kinds of things Mm -hmm. where you're trying trying to make things, be they ideas or messages or resources going from one person to another or... Or, or just managing kind of wider scale operations. Mega games absolutely play uh, really well in trying to play out those scenarios. And in fact, um, mega games are almost sort of uh, deeply linked to a lot of uh, professional simulation gaming and professional war gaming, um, which you know real world governments or, or agencies mm-hmm. or corporations will use to um, you know predict what might happen if a certain scenario played out. Um, and I think I read about recently someone was trying to predict how AI would affect the future of warfare. And the way they did this was the team who represented the team that had AI were allowed to see the map and what was going on immediately, mm. whereas the team who weren't had to stay in another room and have other people tell them what was going on. And then they'd make a decision and then the people, you know, the go-betweens would go to the room and do it. So it's to represent how AI goes a lot faster without actually using technology to, yeah. to do that. Um, yeah. So that's just sort of an interesting tweak you can do. But there's all kinds of situations where it's like, how will communication will be affected? How will logistics be affected? The earliest mega games, um, some of them were essentially about war games where people had you know they'd been playing you know two-on-two war games or whatever and they thought you know in real war the communications and logistics are a massive problem that you know has a huge effect on the actual outcome of a campaign yeah but we're not really seeing that here so they sort of did mega games to sort of try and see how that would happen like well actually if you try and do this campaign across ancient greece but you know there's 30 players trying to run the campaign at once and they all have their own little region or their own little group of troops to command. Yeah. How difficult does it get uh, based on, you know, everyone actually trying to be on the same page, everyone trying to, you know, are people actually loyal to each other or are they building up, like, regional identities? Where's the resources going? All that kind of stuff that you just couldn't get if the game was only, like, four or five players. Um, so there's definitely uh, room for that. Uh, I was talking recently to someone who teaches children about uh, various science subjects and again about how uh, possibly you could represent uh, evolution of animals and how it works based on you know you put all these different types of animals together and some of them will mutate in certain ways and how successful are they and you can actually see it in action as this big kind of grand Mm. scale issue with all these different types of animals and all these different types of mutations on these animals and how it affects you know what survives and what doesn't in this kind of scenario, is it easier to get people to kind of get involved if they think it is a kind of a game? Have you seen people that, you know, who would never probably be the type of people who you would say they've never touch a, they've never touched a role-playing game in their life, and yet they really got something kind of out of the, out of the experience, and in fact they couldn't believe they'd actually played a game all this time and it could it could have been this involved in this kind of series you get you kind of get that coming at you on a, on a kind of a regular basis as well 
Um, I think it depends. There are definitely people out there who uh, who, who don't think much of, of gaming mm. and sort of the, the word alone puts them off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's not very serious so that serious people shouldn't be engaging with it. Um, but, you know, there are other people out there who just, you know, would love the idea of something more engaging um, or more interesting than, you know, just sitting in front of a PowerPoint presentation for an hour. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think it depends. Uh, but I imagine there's been a few people who have sort of been convinced of of, of how interesting and educational it can be after uh, coming in not expecting such an experience. How long is it? How long does it take to kind of put together a game? As in, how long does it take um, you to kind of design design from scratch? I mean, it, it varies because you know I, I I kind of spread it across uh, different months and I have to balance it personally with admin and stuff mm. but um i'd say most people take somewhere between six months to 18 months from the initial idea to building it up and coming up with more of a core rules base and then mm-hmm. fleshing it out and finally building the actual game and, f- and physically and arranging a date and, and putting it on um i'd say that's sort of the old your time frame for most people. Um, I don't know how many of those six to 18 months are, are full work, but that seems to be the actual real time mm-hmm. uh, length of time. And I mean, is it, is, do you have like a network? Is there an, is there a network of mega gamers? I mean, is there a Northeast mega game um, <laughs> company I, as well? Do you kind of all yeah, not, not quite that literally, but yeah. um, there's sort of different groups and organizations have sort of popped up around everywhere pretty much any population center big enough mm-hmm. um someone's decided that they're going to be the person who wants to run mega games there so you know um and it'd be worth you know putting links to these uh in the in the description if that's okay because yeah, then people can find their local ones but uh you know if you're in london then you've got the original mega game makers um and you've also got horizon mega games which was started by uh, my friend Alex to run um, slightly different styles of mega games to what mega game makers were doing, and also just to get more um, opportunities for mega game designers out there. Um, but then you've also got um, Reading Mega Games, who are running mega games in Reading. You've got Southampton Mega Games, which is where my friend Zane runs his mega games, yeah. and he's the guy who designed Infinite Horizons. Um, you've got Cambridge uh, Mega Games, which is a group of designers in Cambridge. Um, you've got uh, I'm almost certainly going to forget at least one person, so forgive me. Um, but you've got uh, Pennine Mega Games, which run Mega Games in the Manchester, Leeds, and Sheffield area. Uh, you've got True North Mega Games, which run Mega Games in Scotland and the far north of England, um, and uh, all all kinds of others. Especially, I mean, that's just you know England and Scotland. Um, you know, if you go international, there's even more, way more. Um, and there's a website called Mega Game Assembly which some of my friends uh, uh, made uh, a while ago, uh, which sort of tries to collate as much of the mega game stuff going on as possible. And they've got like a calendar and a list of, of mega game stuff on there. So you can try and find one there if there's one that I've completely missed, uh, which I'm almost certain has happened. <laughs> well, you know, we will make sure that we gather up everything and put them in the show notes so nobody will be left out. And if there is anybody, oh, um, and Southwest Mega Games, which is uh, the business that I run, so I'm surprised I forgot it. Um, and that runs, you know, any, anywhere from sort of Bournemouth to Cardiff and everywhere in between, um, Bristol, Cheltenham, Swindon, Oxford, Reading, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, in terms of kind of like, do you do you ever look at kind of like smaller stuff? Then do you design kind of 
looking at smaller games for like five to ten people or do you say well that kind of market's kind of done I, I you know I'm, I'm i'm quite happy with concentrating on kind of where we are and what we're kind of doing just now um i mean from a so from a from a amateur sense i do run sort of my own custom rpgs uh quite a lot for my friends and stuff like that so i still do a lot of uh smaller scale gaming and uh i, I discuss design with friends sometimes when they're like thinking about designing a board game or something mm-hmm. um uh, from a business perspective, I am in the middle of putting together a 10-player uh, pseudo-mega game. Um, some people want to call them killer games. Some people want to call them mini-mega games. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's, it's sort of a new subgenre that's slightly experimental at the moment. Uh, these sort of games that have a lot of mega game DNA in them, but are a bit too small to really definitely be mega games. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about... Uh, bank heists and it's got like 10 people where some of the people are trying to rob the bank and some of the people are, are the authorities outside trying to stop them wow. um, so that's that's you know the answer to that question is uh, yes I'm about to I guess <laughs> uh, not currently but uh, uh, you know in the middle of that particular design do you think things like you know with the kind of the abundance of kind of like escape rooms that seem to be kind of popping up does that kind of help kind of people looking beyond kind of board games as something that sits around the table that you've got like four friends and that's kind of it that's helped kind of expand and actually uh, well this could be somebody that doesn't kind of normally play games you know i it's one of those things where i'm not sure uh, so the the fun fact here is i also work part-time at an escape room okay. um so i've i've seen many many people come through the escape room doors yeah. And uh, the vast majority of them, I wouldn't ascribe as gamers mm-hmm. um, in the sort of very specific definition sense. Um, I wouldn't expect them to be the kind of people who play board games or uh, role-playing games a lot or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sort of just, you know, um, they're looking for something to do with their kids or just doing on a rainy day or, or they just like puzzles. Um, and... You know, that's great, and obviously it's brilliant. Um, but I don't know how much crossover there is. I think the escape room popularity is is mainly due to the accessibility of puzzles. Like, so many, you know, there's you can buy puzzle books in every W.H. Smith's. Yeah. Um, they're, they're such a common, popular notion that, like, the idea of, oh, it's puzzles, but, like, it's a bit more intense and it's a day out kind of thing um, is what's really brought them in. And that's not to say there definitely aren't people out there who maybe didn't escape from and got into gaming or decided to experiment more with what they did for their fun times and activities. Um, I just don't know how much crossover there is, but at the same time, that's completely anecdotal evidence on my part. Yeah, yeah. I'm always, I'm just kind of interested because um, I think what you're doing is important because it can get people who, anything that gets somebody kind of looking into the hobby is a good thing. The, the kind of the more people that we have kind of looking at what, what can be done and taking some enjoyment from a set of rules which is I always found fascinating that you can tell people no you're not allowed to do that and they get they have the best fun ever because they've got to to kind of look at doing other things I think anything that kind of makes people more aware of there's kind of um, there's kind of these types of games that are out there actually you know is a very very always always a very very good thing Um, is are these the type of things that you would look at? I mean, would you love to work on an official licensed kind of mega game? Would that be something that you would ever like consider uh, like, like to do? 
like a professional, uh, like a, a widespread IP or something. Yeah, I mean, if somebody um, says, if somebody says, okay, it's the Rebels versus the Empire, and it's Star Wars, you can do what you want. And you would, would you be, would you be rubbing your hands with glee, or would you be hiding under the table because of the potential expectations from from having to, um, to do something like that? Oh yeah, that bit you said at the end. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, so yeah, from a design perspective, um, it's always really interesting. As long as there's something there in the whatever the world is, mm-hmm. as long as there's something there in the world to explore from a mega game point of view, you know, if there's enough factions, if there's enough um, agents or powers that or actors in whatever's going on, that having enough of them in one place at one time to determine what happens in the situation, yeah. You, you know, how do you explore that? What are the mechanics for that? How do the players interact with each other? What are the levers they pull? What is the story that could be told? The many multiple stories that could be told. Um, so yeah, like I'd be really interested to explore that with any number of great, uh, you know, IPs with really in-depth worlds. Um, in fact, one of the games I designed is called Den of Wolves, which is, uh, it's sort of inspired by Battlestar Galactica. It definitely isn't a Battlestar Galactica game. Yes. None of the characters or anything. Yes. But it's just sort of like you're trying to survive. There's a lot of internal politics and it's a really dire situation where you just keep running away from this merciless enemy. Um, and so that was, you know, me saying, you know, like, you know, I've seen that world. I think there's plenty to explore in something that looked like that. Um, um, yeah, like the idea that there's people out there, like if, if I was somehow became very popular by, you know, if, if all the nerd websites suddenly started talking about this IP <laughs> I just bought, then I'd probably have a big demand and I'd be very stressed out by the idea of people thinking I'd ruined their favorite uh, IP. Um, but <laughs> yeah, as long as that kind of expectation wasn't around, I'd really love to get into it from a design perspective. Uh, like so many great worlds out there in, in fiction. What would you do? Well, I mean, that's the. I guess that is the golden question, John. Is what if I said, right, okay, I am the doctor of IPs, and I am going to give you all of the IPs, Mister Meisen. What, what IP can I drop in your lap that's just going to have you clicking your heels as you walk up the street, beaming at everybody? You know what's going to make your day. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm terrible at pulling ideas out of the ether, but. Um... I know something that sort of has the 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 sort of you know something that has some really intense like politics and some real crunchy systems. Um, so uh, Game of Thrones would be a pretty good one. Yeah. And in fact, there have been games that are sort of based on Game of Thrones in the same way I did Den of Wolves um, or uh, The Expanse. If you're familiar with The oh, Expanse, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like there's some great sort of you know regionalism versus centrism. Powers, suspicion, politics, um, personalities in both of those, I think, would make some really great mega game material. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So, if anybody's listening and you have just a major IP just kicking about, <laughs> kicking yeah. about the castle kind of thing, you know, um, is, is this the type of thing you would go to, to kind of cons and stuff like that? I mean, do you go to like Gen Con, UK Games Expo, things like that to kind of spread um, the word and things? Yeah, so actually last uh, UK Games Expo was the first time I'd personally taken a mega game there. There'd been a mega game there a couple of years ago as well um, that I, I kind of helped run, but I wasn't running it. But yeah, mm. last year I ran Watch the Skies Second Sight, which if you remember Watch the Skies from earlier was a sort of reboot slash um, modified version of Watch the Skies that I've been running recently. Yeah. 
So I ran that at a UK Games Expo. That's actually where um, Jamie from the Giant Brain uh, heard about me because uh, he was the president of Japan. He did a really amazing um, article, which basically just went through the whole story of what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a um, he's, so, a, he's, a, yes. he's a budding actor as well. So I'm sure if he was right, involved yeah. in any way, shape, or form, he would have been absolutely fantastic at it. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was uh, a UK Game Expo. Uh, hopefully, I'll be running another game at UK Games Expo next year as well. But it's sort of too early for mm-hmm. that kind of uh, organization at this point. Uh, interestingly, Den of Wolves, the games I mentioned before. I've sold the PDF pack of that to multiple people, um, and some of those people have actually run it at Gen Con. It was run twice at Gen Con this uh, previous season, um, and they ran it at Shucks as well, the Shadow Pins It Down uh, convention mm. in Canada. Yeah. When um, that seemed to go really well there. There was a slight thing where the people running it uh, misread the rules and accidentally doubled the amount of enemy combatants when there should have been Ouch. half the amount and some ships may have exploded but uh, <laughs> apparently it was a good day nonetheless it was a good learning experience it's the Kobe Oshimaru yeah. <laughs> of mega games oh, what's going to happen yeah, they're, they're playing yeah. it on like extreme difficulty basically which you know it's always a fun experiment <laughs> I mean in things like Den of Wolves, does it need? It says in a, a player count of approximately forty people. I mean, yeah. do you need kind of that many people? Could you get away with twenty, or is it just basically look the more the merrier? If you if you you can't run these things with ten people, it's just never ever going to happen. Um. So yeah, I think there's the lower limit, and I think interestingly, it is about twenty. Um. You know, you're, you're really sort of nailing it down to just the absolute core elements of where the decisions are being made and, and how many people you need to actually move resources around and have discussions about things when you hit about 20. Um, I did actually have a conversation with someone very recently who said, we're not sure if we're going to be able to get 20 people. Do you have any suggestions? And like at that point, you could break it down into something that's less of a mega game, but like still works, like a little bit more of a political simulation with some, um, you know, unusually constructed turns where, mm. People will go off and try and trade, and then they'll come back and try and make a law about something, and then they'll go off and trade again. Um, so I think there's like still options um, for running the game below twenty. But mm-hmm. like I said, I think it's the the real sort of intended design experience will start becoming very difficult if you can't get at least twenty people. Yeah, yeah. Because as you said, you mentioned you um, you can buy Dana Wills. Um, yes, you can get it directly from directly from yourselves by by emailing you is that kind of like is that like the pdf is that the kind of the pdf pack so you send them the files that they can then print and play and make up and everything like the how how they want it to be done yeah yeah that's that's it i uh, i do offer if people particularly want a uh physical manufacturing service for an extra cost if they want it shipped off to them uh, with all the pieces um, but yeah, it's a standard protocol is uh, the, just PDF pack, um, and then they can make some of the stuff themselves. And would you would you turn up at people's places to actually help them run it if they were kind of close in the in the in the kind of the vicinity as well? Uh, in theory, um, so I've what I've done is sort of the, the thing with that is that if it's close enough to me to run, then mm-hmm. I've probably run it there myself. Yeah, um, Alex, for example. 
who is my friend who runs games in London for Horizon Mega Games. Uh, I ran Den of Wolves in London twice uh, through Horizon Mega Games. So Alex arranged everything, uh, and I ran the game there. Um, and a friend of mine, she tried to, well, she, she did run the game in Switzerland, um, and she offered to like pay for my travel over there wow. if the budget could stretch. Yeah. Um, and that would have been a fun, you know, weekend trip to Switzerland and run my game there. <laughs> Unfortunately, the budget didn't end up stretching that far, but it it was something I was up for at the time. <laughs> Have you got expensive taste? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I, I did demand uh, first class flight only is and had to be, yeah, and the hotel had to be five star and they, they had to have, uh, you know, gold plated Skittles. Well, there's I've seen rumours on the Facebook groups that you can be a bit of a diva now and again, but I mm. didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to kind of, you know, kind of well, be in yeah. public, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's always the haters. <laughs> it's always the internet, so that's going to probably one of one of the one of the things as well. Has there been? Um, have you seen kind of an impact on things like Board Game Geek? I mean, have you got groups and in, in places like that? If people are just wanting to kind of read maybe people's reports of how they found the game and stuff like that, do you have? You know, is can they find kind of information about kind of mega games on Board Game Geek as well? Um, sort of. It's 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 sort of a weird thing where if someone starts talking about it in another forum, it's sort of whatever they are doing. So, for example, people will write articles like Jamie did about you know what the story was of their yeah. day at Mega Game, yeah. um, and they'll post it to their personal blog or their website or their uh, local board gaming forum or their YouTube channel. So you'll just sort of find all these other these third party things out there. I do it myself on my own website. Mm. I post uh, blog articles about sort of the story of my day as a certain character at other people's mega games. Um, so, yeah, there's sort of that out there, but I don't know if there's any kind of formal collection. You know, the, the Mega Game Assembly website or the Mega Game Maker's original website is sort of the only place where you'll get more kind of collation of mm. what's going on. Okay, okay, okay. Um, if, I mean, if people have listened along tonight and they're saying, well... This sounds mega. Um, <laughs> sorry, people are saying that to me all the time, constantly. <laughs> I bet you never. It's like it's like the Richard Wilson. I don't believe it. Kind of yeah. thing. and I'm only bringing it'd that be, up because I saw that. It'd be really funny if I go up to him and say it really loud. <laughs> yeah, so I recently saw that episode of Father Ted as well, and I was like, mm, <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, but no. I mean, if people have listened along tonight and they thought, well, you know. Um, this, you know, this sounds like it's worthwhile kind of finding out more, some more information, or I could definitely get a group together. Where can they find you, and where do you exist on the internet webs? Um, you can find me on uh, my website, which is www.swmegagames.com. The word mega, the word games. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, not .com, .co.uk. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Um and then there's like a contact link where you'll find my email. It's contact at southwestmegagames.co.uk. Okay. You can just email me or you can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Southwest Mega Games. Um, always happy to chat about design or if you're curious about buying a pack, if you want to play a game somewhere, you can feel free to ask me or uh, check out the previously mentioned groups and websites. Uh, see if you can find a, a game you're interested in or that you're willing to travel to. That sounds good. As I say, we will make sure that we put all the links in the show notes so that we've got notes to 
show. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then jump onto to the internet and search for We Are Not Wizards and you'll find us in all the different worn-out faces, worn-out places, bright and early for the daily races. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, if you want to... Join our little Facebook page. It's on facebook.com forward slash We Are Not Wizards. Um, if you like what you've listened to tonight, there's a couple of things you can do. First thing is you can tell somebody else about us. You know, imagine you're in a room with another 39 people playing a mega game and they're all going to go, well, what do we do after we've done this? You can say, well, here, you could listen to this podcast and they could, they could you know, tell us about us because we could then spread like a horrific virus, I guess. Um, the other thing you can do is you can jump onto Apple podcasts and drop us a rating drop us a review um if you are going to be giving us a rating or a review don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed don't give us one star because it makes us cry give us something in the middle like a five because it's average we're just a little bit average but the person who's not been average is rather wonderful rather fantastic mr john Mizen, thank you very much for coming on, sir. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on. It's always great to uh, talk about mega games some more. It, it, I don't do it enough, apparently. Apparently, apparently, this is there is only two more things to do, and the first thing, this next thing, is really, really important. I cannot express mm-hmm. how important. And this, this thing is the first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, John? Um, no? Good, that's good enough for me. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Thank you very much. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from John. Say goodbye, John. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, uh, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And if you're sick of kind of being inside with looking at the same kind of four faces playing games and you want to get out there, Get yourself a big group. Do something different. Manage little systems. Manage big systems. Take over planets. Take over cities and be diplomats and war people and things like that. Then jump on and check yourself out a mega game. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 